So John uh, 14, 18 to 30 uh, is one of those passages where you look at it when you're, you're Jesus preaching and you think, where do I even begin? What an incredible passage of Scripture. So vital to our discipleship as followers of Jesus. Uh, these verses uh, stream as, as, as so valuable, so important. Not only these, but the chapters that follow it as well. And we're going to come to that uh, to, towards the end. But really just want to focus on uh, how crucial it uh, is for us as disciples of Jesus to remember always uh, what it is that Christ has offered to us, what it is the life that he gives to each and every one of us. That is often said, and I wholeheartedly agree, that as disciples of Jesus we need to preach the gospel, the good news to ourselves every day. Remind ourselves every day of the good news of Jesus, the love that he has poured on us, of all that he's done for us, but also all that he is. And here in these verses we read about the life that Jesus offers. Earlier in John 10 he said, I have come that you may have life and have it to its full. And we read that and think, beautiful God, I want that's wonderful, I want that. But then we want to know what it is, what is that life that he offers it. And in chapters 14 to 17 of John, we discover what that life is like. Like what it means to have life in all its fullness. And so these passages are so important because we see in these verses Jesus' primary desire or highest desire is for us to know the Father and to be known by the Father, to know his love for us. Jesus has come that we may know the Father, he goes on to say, and he says in these verses. And as I said, when you look at this passage, it is impossible to know where to start. This, I mean, these few verses could be an entire term sermon series, let alone uh, one sermon on a Sunday morning. So I was asking God, well, how do we uh, focus in? Where do we focus in on something that's so uh, vital? And I was drawn, and I, I don't know if you would have been as well, but I was drawn in this story uh, to this one brief mention of Judas. Uh, a different Judas from Judas Iscariot. Uh, and I'm sure that this Judas is extremely grateful that that was pointed out by John. <laughs> I'm sure he's very glad that he's not that Judas that we all uh, know and has become one of the enemies of Scripture. Uh, but he's not that Judas. And actually, we don't read about this Judas anywhere else other than here. This is the only reference to this Judas uh, in the whole of Scripture. And uh, there, there are lots of arguments as to who this Judas was. Was he one of the twelve? Is it another name for Thaddeus? There's a lot of question marks around who this Judas was. But in these verses, he does something remarkable. And what I'm really struck by is how polar opposite he is to the other Judas. Because the other Judas in this, Judas Iscariot, in this moment, whilst this discourse is going on, is already betraying Jesus. He is being one of the most selfish people that there is that we find in the story of Jesus. And in his own selfishness, and his own desire for selfishness, he is betraying Jesus. Yet this Judas asks what I think is possibly one of the most selfless questions that any of the disciples ever asked. The disciples are always wanting to know more of who Jesus is and saying things like, which of us will be the greatest and, and how Jesus can we do this and how can we do this? But this Judas turns to Jesus when Jesus is talking about the life that he offers, the life in all its fullness, knowing the Father, all of this. This Judas turns to Jesus and says, Jesus, how can this possibly be just for us? Surely this is a message for the whole world. How are you going to let the whole world know? Why are you keeping this just to us as 
disciples, those who are here in front of you now. This is something for the whole world. How can you just tell us and not the world? Isn't that a selfless question to ask? This is a Judas who's thinking of other people needing to know Jesus. And you can read these verses and you can be fooled into thinking that Jesus doesn't answer his question. Because he doesn't answer it directly. Jesus does what Jesus often does, and then he takes the question of Judas, which is a huge question in itself, and he makes it into something far greater and far bigger, to preach an even greater truth, an even bigger truth than the answer to that question. But he does, in doing so, actually answer the question, just not very directly. How many of you would rather Jesus answer directly when you ask the question? I'm sure we would, but that's not how he does it. He is answering this question in a really powerful way, and he's doing so in a number of ways. He's speaking some incredible truths, saying that yes, Judas, essentially he's saying, Judas, the answer is yes, I am going to make the whole world know about me, but not the way you expect. Because I'd imagine what Judas was hoping is that Jesus would do some incredible miracle that means he's suddenly known throughout all the world. But what Jesus says is I'm going to make myself known through the world through a number of different things. Which hopefully for us this morning will happen to give the beginning of the letter P. I'm going to tell the world about me through my people, through my presence, through my peace, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see in the verses that follow Jesus' question. Jesus unpacking each of those things individually, dealing with those things. What you essentially see in verses, uh, kind of from verses 20 onwards, uh, following on from Jesus' question, you essentially see a, a more elongated version of the Great Commission. That's what you find in these verses. The Great Commission, which we all know so well, uh, going to all the world, making disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded them, uh, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're seeing here uh, Jesus elongating that call and that commission and saying, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to make myself known. And it's going to happen, first of all, through you as my people. God loves the world by us as Christians being in it. God loves the world by us being in it. His primary way of bringing salvation is through his church, to the generations, to the nations. This is the Great Commission, and it begins with our own very discipleship as followers of Jesus. Those who have been transformed by him are those whom he is calling to make him known to the world. Bill Hull, a great writer on discipleship, puts it like this. Discipleship doesn't involve developing a well-trained elite sales force. Rather, discipleship occurs when a transformed person radiates Christ to those around her. It happens when people so deeply experience God's love that they can do nothing other than affect those around them. This is what Jesus is doing in his church. Transforming lives. Our call, our mission, is not about converting people. There are far too many converts in the church and nowhere near enough disciples. We are called to make disciples of the nations. 
disciples of all people. And that can only happen if we ourselves are our disciples. It's the Nathaniel principle of come and see, come and see who Jesus is. Come and see what he's done for us. Come and see what he can do for you. We are called as the church of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And it feels like a high call. And it is a high call. And I'm going to argue very strongly that the world depends on it. Because when you read the statistics of the church, you can think that the church is in a terrible state. And certainly in the West it is, but when you look around the world in the bigger picture, the church is actually thriving and doing pretty well. But where the church is in a state, there's only one or two things that's going to save the church and save the world. A miracle, as in a revival of Jesus, or good, decent discipleship. They are the only things that are the hope for the world. Knowing Jesus personally for ourselves and making him known. So yes, Jesus, I am going to make myself known to the world and I'm going to do it through you. I'm going to do it through my people. It is all about our discipleship. Being followers of Jesus. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. We are called to be followers of Jesus in our everyday lives. It is all about being his followers. And then he goes on to say, I'm going to do it through my presence. But not only that, I'm doing it through my presence in my people. So if you wonder how on earth can we do this, how can we be disciples, we do it because Christ is in us. Now if you're anything like me, you always thought the disciples were so, so fortunate to have Jesus in front of them, weren't they? Weren't they so they were the, uh, of all the generations, they're, they're, they're the ones who were blessed enough to have Jesus walk the earth in front of them, to have him three years, follow him for three years, get to know him, spend time with him. And if you're anything like me, you wish you were there at the time. You, why couldn't it be me? Why couldn't it be our generation? They're so, so blessed to have been the people who have that. Do you think that Am I the only one who thinks that? Anyone else think that they love to see Jesus right in front of them? Well, ask yourself this question. Is it better to have Christ in his flesh in front of you or Christ by his spirit inside you? Which is better? To have Christ in his flesh in front of you or Christ by his spirit within you? Because we have the latter. We have the Spirit within us. We have Christ in us. That's powerful stuff. That's life-transforming truth that Christ is in us. We are in Him and He is in us as He is in the Father. And we will come and make our dwelling with them, with those who love me and keep my commands. Christ is in us. That's powerful stuff. So when Jesus says, for example, just one example from what Jesus says in John 14, that the ruler of this world is coming and he has no authority over me, that means if Christ is in us, he has no authority over us either. The same power that 
raised from the dead is the same power that lives in us. And yet we'd still rather have him standing in his flesh in front of us. What a privilege we have to have the presence of God not only with us and around us and before us and behind us, but also in us. So yes, Jesus, I am going to make myself known to the world. I'm going to do it through my people and I'm going to do it through my presence and my presence in my people. And then I'm going to do it through my peace. And we have this wonderful discourse of the peace of God that passes understanding. We know we've talked about it so much, about how peace, genuine peace, true peace, is not the absence of circumstances, but the presence of Jesus. That's genuine peace. The presence of Jesus, so that even in the midst of the storms of life, we can say, it is well with my soul, because we have the peace of Christ with us. And that peace is reigning throughout the world, even, and maybe even more especially in places where our brothers and sisters are being persecuted today. That peace that says, I I, am with Jesus regardless. That peace that we can't explain. That peace that enables the Christian to be sure and steadfast on the rock that is Jesus. And I genuinely believe that there is no greater witness to this world that Jesus is real than those who withstand suffering and hold on to him. There's no greater witness in the world. So yes, Jesus, I am going to save the world. I'm going to save them and I'm going to make myself known to them through my people, through my presence, my presence in my people, through my peace, and lastly, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's in these verses in John 14, as well as many other places besides, we learn that the Holy Spirit is not an optional tag on extra for those crazy charismatics. The Holy Spirit is an essential part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we cannot do our life without Him. We physically cannot live without Him. You cannot know Christ without Him. He is the one who reveals Christ to us. He is Christ in us by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so essential to our discipleship as followers of Jesus. We need to be surrendered and yielded to the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you think about the word possession. We always think about possession as a really negative word. Because we tend to associate it with, with demons and all those kind of things. And that's understandable. But I want to be possessed by the Holy Spirit. I want to be so possessed by him that there's no room for anything or anyone else other than him in my life, in my heart, in my soul, in my being. I want him to show me more of Jesus every single day. I want him to open up his word to me and bring his word to life in my life. I want him to lead me to community. I want him to lead me to fellowship. I want him to lead me to the the power and authority that we have. And bear in mind the power and authority that Jesus talks about is actually humility. Loving the poor. God's power is very different to the world's power. But I want his power within me. And when we know the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, when we know His presence in our lives, when we know His peace, as that quote from Bill Hull says, we won't be able to help ourselves but make disciples of others as our lives radiate Christ and those around us. And it seems impossible, doesn't it? In some ways. But the world depends on us doing it. 
Creation is groaning, waiting for us to do it. To acknowledge that opening verse that I will not leave you as orphans because I will adopt you as my children. You are my children. The world is waiting for us not only to know that, but to genuinely believe it and live our lives as if it's the truth. And our daily discipleship, our daily getting to know him, as we've said, following Jesus is not a hobby. This is our every day. This is everything to us. This is what helps us to live and know what it is to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does. That's what life is about. We are disciples of Jesus. Not just converts. We are disciples of Jesus. We follow him. who allow him to be our teacher, our rabbi, our guide. And we allow him, and this is the difficult bit, we surrender ourselves to him enough to allow him to so transform us that our lives reflect him to the world. Because the world is dependent on that. The world is depending on our discipleship. And we're not talking here about earning anything. As I said, the quote from Dallas Willard a couple of years ago, God's grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. You're not earning salvation, you're not earning approval, you have those already. But our desire, as was Judas's, I hope, is the whole world gets to see Jesus. In terms of eternity, and I've said this before, you know, we, we love the gift of eternity. It's a beautiful addition to what God has offered us. But that's not the motivation for discipleship. The motivation for discipleship is life in all its fullness that Jesus offers us today. I want my brothers to know that life. I want them to know life in Jesus today. So I hope and pray that my life radiates Christ to them in any way that it can. And that's my hope and prayer for you. So I'm going to set a very, very easy challenge today. Because the, the bar is high, but it can start really simply. This is one of the easiest things you could possibly do in your discipleship. When you get home this afternoon and you've had your lunch, it's a beautiful day today. Make a cup of tea or coffee, or whatever you choose. Sit outside or somewhere in the light. Open your Bible in front of you. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, and then read John chapters 14 to 17. It's only a few chapters. It won't take you more than 20 minutes, half an hour, unless Jesus wrecks you, and then you'll be there for a while. But just, just read John 14 to 17, and allow him to show you who he is for you. If you're in a family or a marriage, read it together. If you're on your own, read it on your own. But just allow these words of John chapters 14 to 17 to form you, to shape you, to transform you. Because the words of John 14 to 17 are an eternal truth for us as disciples of Jesus today. So yes, Jesus, I am going to make myself known in all the world. 
I'm going to do it through you, my people, through my presence, my presence in you, through my peace and through the power of my Holy Spirit. My only question is, are you willing to yield, to surrender, and allow me to do that in you and through you? That's our responsibility. The rest is down to him. He who has begun a good work in you will see it through to completion. He will do as long as you surrender to him. So Jesus, we choose again to surrender to you this morning. As disciples of Jesus, we want to, to know you, Jesus, to be with you, to become more like you, to do what you do for the sake of the world.